0: Well, it is good to be here this evening, and uh, I'm excited about my church being here and uh, my family being here. This has been one of my favorite conferences through the years, and uh, I've always been involved in some way or another. Uh, I guess you might see some, some point in time here. You might recognize my voice, maybe, but uh, I'm, uh, I'm glad to get the opportunity to preach to you. I amen everything that preacher, well, he's my preacher, so I was calling preacher, but everything Brother Fugit said earlier. I am in that. I am a fundamentalist, and uh, that's how I was raised. It's, uh, that's, that's how I, I was taught in church. I've just never found any reason to give it up yet. And uh, I've seen that it still works, that God still works in people's hearts and lives. And uh, rather than search for every method under the sun to try to reach people, I'll just uh, get a hold of the Lord and let the Lord do His work in people's lives and hearts. And that's uh, really what I have a burden to preach to us about this evening. And I really uh, had a little bit of a hard time. It's never figuring out, well, uh, what do I preach? It's usually which one do I preach? And that's the tough, the tough part. So I pre- I'm going to preach them all tonight. And, uh, but no, I want to get started as quick as I can and uh, get through. We're going to uh, preachers preaching here later, and I'm looking forward to hearing him. And I would like for you to take your Bible, go to First John chapter 4 and verse number 1. First John chapter 4, verse number 1. Again, I appreciate the opportunity to do this. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity just to be involved in every little part of the conference here that I've been able to throughout the years. Brother Davis is a good friend of mine. All these men up here on the platform had an impact in my life. And uh, I hope that I can be an encouragement to you this evening. Let's go to First John chapter 4, verse number 1. It says, Beloved... Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now, already, is it in the world. Verse 4, it says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I'm going to preach a message to you. You are better without you. You are better without you. And I'm going to go against the world's grain here for a little bit tonight. Hopefully, I, I pray that I'd have your attention and the Holy Spirit could speak to you. And let's pray this evening. Dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. Lord, hear from your word. Lord does a good Father give, give to his children tonight Lord we ask that you give us your spirit, Lord fill this place, fill hearts, Lord fill me as I deliver your word and Lord I just ask this Lord, uh, knowing that I'm who I'm talking to, Lord you're gracious, you're good, you're merciful. Lord you love us and we ask this in Jesus name. Amen. We ask you, have you ever wanted to help someone change? Maybe you've attempted to help somebody or you tried to help them overcome maybe depression or doubts or even addiction, maybe some of y'all have been teen soul winning, and you've sought to go out and help somebody, lead them to the Lord, or maybe you run a bus, and I've taken groceries to many families on the bus route, I've bought uh, items of clothing, I, I've, uh, I've tried to help out with furniture, I've done many things like that, I've tried to help folks in all different walks of life, and you've tried maybe to teach them, or encourage them, or help them improve their life some way, and nothing worked. Maybe you attempted and tried and tried to get them into church. Everything you did did not work. Maybe I asked the question, have you ever wanted to change yourself? Now, I mean, you truly wanted to be better. And I believe this in many young people. I heard a statistic that says 88% of kids leave church uh, when they graduate. And I think it's a shame that we would even leave, lose one, lose one. But maybe you've tried to change yourself. You want to be better. Maybe you determined in your heart that things are going to be different this year. I've had many years like that as a teenager. I'm going to be different this year. Now you heard preaching or encouragement or maybe an inspiring story about believing in yourself and you thought, I'm really going to do it this time. Maybe you walked back from the altar and you said, this is the time. This is it. It's going to be different when I walk back there tonight. Maybe there was a sin you tried to stop doing or you felt so bad the last time you did it. That you determined you were not going to do it again. And maybe there was a sermon about reading your Bible and praying and church and being friendly or telling somebody about Jesus. Or or fixing your attitude with parents or being kind in your home. And you went home excited about doing more for God. You really wanted to. You tried. And nothing worked. I've been in all those situations more times than I would like to admit or even could count at this point. And many times you get to the place where you burn out. You've tried everything. It won't work. You can't change. They'll never change. And you just kind of find something else to do. You know, in your head, maybe you keep going over and over what went wrong. Why? I tried believing in myself. I tried getting inspired by hearing stories from other people who did it. You know, I tried imagining myself there and having a vision I'll say when I was younger, I tried envisioning myself as uh, Michael Jordan. It has not yet worked out, as you can see. I am getting bald, though, so I am getting close. Maybe you've tried to imagine yourself there. It didn't work. I tried setting goals and making resolutions. I even made changes for a little while, and it was great, but it never lasts. The inevitable question which is asked in desperation is, what am I not doing? What am I missing? You've done everything they told you to do, and you still don't feel better. You heard that great soul-winning testimony, but you still have struggles in your boldness in approaching people. You wrote down the verses, and you repeated them over and over, but you still feel anxious and worried and fearful inside. You know God loves you, but maybe you still do things uh, uh, maybe you still do things that displease them. You know it's wrong to look at certain movies or listen to that music or flirt around or look at simple things on the computer or go behind parents' back. You know all that. You told yourself you wouldn't do it anymore, but you did. What's missing? I would say it's not what is missing, but it's who. It's who is missing. I want us to look at Peter. Would you go with me to Matthew chapter 26? Now, I thought, an you know, opportunity to preach to teenagers, oh, I'll peel the paint off the walls. Now, we'll do some. There's no paint on the walls. we have to knock bricks down. But in my life and in my work, I've found out that I'm a pretty poor person at changing people and getting them to change and getting them to quit. Or getting them to start doing things. I've realized it's got to be from their heart. But there's more than that. In Matthew chapter 26, we look at Peter, and he said, Peter answered and said unto him, unto Jesus, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples, by the way. And Peter knew in his heart he would never deny Jesus. He knew it. Just like some of you when you walk back from the altar, I know I'm going to do better this time. I know it. But then it never works out. Jesus then takes them to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prays for the God's strength before he is arrested, tried, beaten, and crucified. Listen to these words from Jesus in verse 38. He said, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. He needed those disciples the, the most, uh, uh, one of the most crucial times in his life. It said he was sweating like it was great drops of blood from his from his uh from his forehead down his face. That's how intense that this prayer session was. What did he do? He comes back three different times and finds him sleeping. Hey, thanks for the help, fellas. Thanks for helping me out. I'm sure he came back and they'd probably every time, oh, sorry, Jesus, I promise I'll stay awake this time. I'll, I'll be awake. In verse 45 we find that he cometh to his disciples, saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Had they known what was getting ready to come like Jesus did, I think they probably would have prayed. Had they known that they would need a lot more than physical strength to take on what was about to come, they would have been on their knees praying. See, they didn't know like Jesus knew. Jesus is speaking to them, and Judas comes with Roman soldiers to arrest him. Now, Peter's well-rested now. He's had a lot of sleep. What's he do? He gets up. Man, he pulls his sword out. He's got motivation. He's ready to fight, and he takes a swing at a guy, cuts his ear off. He said, I'll change this situation. You're coming after my Jesus. That's how Peter was going to deal with it because he had a lot of sleep. He's physically strong, and Jesus rebukes him. And he heals the guy's ear. He lets himself be arrested because... He's the only one who's actually prepared with the right kind of strength for doing God's will and going to the cross. Verse 56 is sad. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Sounds familiar like that 88% figure, doesn't it? Why? They'd spent three years with this man. They had said with their lips and with their mouth, they had claimed him as their Savior. They had proclaimed that he was the Son of God. Peter says, where else shall we go? Who has the words of life? Don't you remember that, Peter? Why are you running now? Don't you remember all the times you came to the altar? Don't you remember all the times you promised God what you're going to do for him? Where are those promises now? They forsook him. they fled. Luke 22, verse 60, you don't have to go there, but Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest. Now we know what this is all about. They're asking Jesus, hey, you look like one of those guys. Or they're asking Peter, you look like one of those guys that was with Jesus. And Peter says, no, no, I don't know him. Three different times, of course, just like Jesus said. Immediately while he yet spake the cock crew. And here it is. Verse 61, the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. So Peter was following Jesus from afar off. And when Jesus hears that rooster crow, he turns around and he catches Peter's eye. It wasn't the rooster that tore Peter up on the inside. It was him looking in the face of his Savior and realizing that I just denied that man. It so he looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. I'm talking about a rough, tough fisherman ready to take off somebody's head for Jesus. What would he do? He went out and he wept like a baby, bitterly crying out. I don't know if you've ever heard a bitter cry or maybe you've ever bitterly cried yourself, but it's pitiful. This is how we often deal with Peter. Now, Peter, you quit your cursing, Peter. Peter, you quit hanging out with the wrong crowd, Peter. Quit denying and being ashamed of Jesus. You tell others you know who Jesus is. Now, none of those were Peter's biggest problem, though. The problem was way back in verse 52. In Luke twenty-two fifty-four. 54, back in verse 54, they took him, then they took him, Jesus, and led him and brought him into the priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. Had Peter, not been follow- had Peter been following Christ clo- closely, nobody would have accused him of being a disciple because it would have been obvious. He never would have had the opportunity to deny him. He never would have had the opportunity to curse. He never would have had the opportunity to hang out with the wrong crowd because he was where he should be, close to Jesus, following as close as he could. Now there's some in here that I believe need to lock eyes with Jesus tonight. And you need to remember His Word. And you need to realize you are not where you should be. I believe there should be some bitter weeping at the altar during this conference. Truth is, though, bitter weeping won't change you either. And feeling shame won't change you. It's a start, but it's not strong enough. You know what I've realized? I'm terrible at changing me. Anybody else amen me with that? You are terrible at changing you. We are terrible at making ourselves permanently better. How many times have I failed? How many times have I begged God and told him I'm sorry? How many times I said I'll never do it again? How many times I said when I go home I'll be better? Spend a whole week at camp, loving life, woo, I'm ready to set the world on fire for Jesus, and then you go right back in where you were before. Jesus rises from the dead, gets all his disciples back together again. That's pretty bad when he's got to come back from the dead to get them all back. The Bible even says that he chews them out for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they didn't believe the people that saw him raised from the dead. They've had, but they've had these meetings with Jesus and heard his speeches and lectures for three years. And that still hadn't been enough to keep them from betraying him, deserting him, denying him, doubting him. Three years with Jesus and they hadn't gotten any better. You say, what? I've known Christians that have been saved in every church service, but they have not gotten any better over 30, 40 years. They still complain. They still gossip. They're still unkind. They still gripe about the preacher, about everything going on in the church, the color of the carpet, the color of the paint. They still don't go soul winning. They still have rough marriages. They still like their sin. They still watch and listen to things they shouldn't. After years and years and sometimes a lifetime in church and hearing the word preached, they haven't gotten any better. Now we're in trouble. Because if that won't work, I'm not sure if anything will work. But then again, it's not what is missing, it's who is missing. If it wasn't the person of Jesus Christ, then who? Jesus was about to leave again and ascend to heaven. The last time he left the disciples, things didn't go too well. It's like I remember one time when the teacher walked out, things weren't going too well in the classroom. They kind of quit. The last time he left, they weren't spiritually strong enough to endure all the trouble and fear that came on them. They found themselves weak and they ran and they quit. Now, here's where I believe the story changes. Would you go with me to Acts chapter one? Acts chapter one, let's go to verse eight. It says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. When Jesus ascends up into heaven, they do just like every other Christian does. They sit there and stare. And the angel comes down and says, why are you sitting here gazing up into heaven? He's going to come back just like he went up. Now go do what he told you to do. What was that? That was get into Jerusalem, get into an upper room and start praying because the last time you did not do that and things didn't go well. Now you go there until I send the Holy Spirit. It's a, you, you shall receive power. Verse 13, when they, came, when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotes, Judas the brother of James, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brethren. They didn't dare step out of that room. The last time they were in this room, they were shivering and fearful and afraid. They wouldn't walk outside of it. Now they were shivering and fearful and afraid, not because what was outside, but because they knew they needed what was about to come inside that room. Right. On. That's right. That's right. Acts one, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it goes on in that chapter where 3,000 people are saved and baptized all in the same day. It's an incredible time in uh, church history. It's incredible to see where these men went from, cowards that ran, to all of a sudden bold enough to stand up, bold enough to get beat for the name of Christ. Bold enough to preach I mean they changed They went from hating each other And saying who's going to be the best in the kingdom I'm better than you I'm going to sit on the right hand of Jesus No I am Jesus washes their feet They still don't figure it out What changed these men It was the Holy Spirit of God The Bible says you and I Are the temple of the Holy Spirit If you're saved The Bible says greater is he that is in you Than he that is in the world That's not talking about looking within yourself for the answer. It's not talking about believing in yourself. It's not talking about unlocking your hidden potential. It's not talking about you at all. It's talking about the Holy Spirit of God. And you need Him in order to do the work God has called you to do. You need Him to keep going and not quit. You need Him to be greater. You need Him to be better. You are better without you. And you're ten times better with the Holy Spirit of God filling your heart and your mind and your soul. Let there be a whole lot less of you at this conference and a whole lot more of him. Let your motto be John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. I've learned that a big part of doing the will and work of God is just getting myself out of his way. I mess things up all the time. I say the wrong thing. I do the wrong thing. I try the wrong thing. God can work much better without all my bright ideas and flesh and sins and fears and videos and advertisements without all stuff getting in the way. He can do a whole lot better if I just let him use me like he wants to use me. I am weak, but he is strong. What was Jesus' idea about getting ready for Pentecost Day? Hey, what was Jesus' idea about setting things up for the meeting and advertising? I'm not against all that stuff, but what did Jesus say? Hey, Jesus, what do you think we should do to get ready for Pentecost? He said, I think you ought to go find an upper room somewhere, and you ought to get together, you ought to bow your head, you ought to get on your knees, you ought to pray for the Holy Spirit of God, and don't you leave until he comes. Hey, how can I grow my Sunday school class? I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to go find an upper room. You need to get together. You need to pray. You need to bow your head. bow your, uh, Close your eyes. And you need to wait there until the Holy Spirit of God comes and fills that room and fills your life. Amen. Our kids get ready to eat their food. What do we say? Hey, did you pray? What if our Sunday school class did that to us? Hey, did you pray before you taught that lesson? Oh. Did you pray before you went soul winning? I don't mean, uh, or the drop the napkin prayer. Oh, bless the food, amen. Okay, all right, we're good. I mean, did you pray? You prayed till the spirit fell down. You prayed till the Holy Spirit filled your heart. You prayed to where you were gone. And God was in. You say, How can I be a better preacher, Sunday school teacher? How can I be a better bus worker? How can I be better at my job? How can I be a better father? And how can I be a better sister? How can I be a better brother? How can I be, uh, be a better friend? How can I reach the youth in my church? How can I be a better youth worker? You really want to know the answer to that question. Jesus didn't say learn how to win friends and influence people. Jesus didn't say to have an attitude of gratitude. Jesus didn't tell his disciples about, how the, about the power of positive thinking. He didn't tell his disciples to find themselves and unlock their inner potential. He didn't tell them to go build an awesome website and design some cool, attractive brochures. He didn't tell them to develop amazing and fun activities. He didn't tell them to hop from one conference and leadership training event to another, looking for the latest and greatest idea on how to reach people. He didn't tell them about, hey, John Maxwell, read his books on leadership. He said, get yourself in the upper room and don't you dare leave until the power from God." falls down. Don't you remember what happened last time you did not pray and you fell asleep and you thought everything was okay and you ran and you quit on me. Don't you remember? He didn't talk about facilities or anything. He talked about getting alone with God and waiting for the Holy Spirit of God to fill their life. The Holy Spirit of God, I contend, is what made the difference. He gave them the power to finally get better. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that has the power to change. From death to life, fear to faith, cowardly to bold, impossible to possible, sinful to holy, from lovers of pleasure to lovers of God, from friends with the world to children of God. In order to flee fornication, avoid appearance of evil, and get rid of lust and claim victory over addiction and fight off the evil that is ever present with me. I need the greater is he that is in me in order to overcome the world that is without me. I have nothing in my own willpower to get God's work done. I must surrender myself to the Holy Spirit of God. I must have his power, the power to change me, the power for victory, the power to overcome, the power to defeat sin, not in others' life, in my life. The power to change. James 4, 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisted the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We pray, oh, I'm going to resist the devil. You try to do it in your own power, you are going to get flattened. He's a lot bigger than you. He's not afraid of you, but he is afraid of the greater he in you. Why don't you get some sin out of the way and let him in? Let him work. Let him fight for you. You're trying to fight with willpower, You're trying to count to 10 to control your temper. Why don't you let the Holy Spirit have you and see what he can do? Draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. It says submit yourselves therefore to God, then resist the devil. Only after you submit to God will he flee. What about you? Do you have him? Are you failing or succeeding? Are you making real lasting changes in your life? Are you effective? Do you keep trying and failing? Maybe it's time to let him and get you out of the way. And you spend your time, instead of coming up with the next idea about how you're going to be better, you spend your time praying and begging God to give you his Holy Spirit and your life. The reason we have so many failures in our Christianity is because the biggest failure is we don't pray enough. Six things quickly, quickly and we're done. How can I seek the filling of the Holy Spirit in my life? Number one, acknowledge. Acknowledge that you need Him. That's that's humility. I need the Lord because I can't do it on my own. I've got to have Him. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, Now, if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to offer Himself without spot, then surely we need Him. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what we're doing. We're trying to create all this plastic fruit. I'm going to go out and I'm going to be kind. And you're no better than a kind atheist. An atheist can go out and choose to be kind. An unbeliever can build a crowd. There's crowds all over the place. With with people rocking out the rock concerts, I mean, an unbeliever can do that. Can't point to the crowd and say the Holy Spirit's working. I mean, I've been to, I, when I was uh, uh, real young. We'd go to a place. There's a uh, uh, music playing, and boy, it gets you excited. I've seen people walk out of Christian meetings. Oh, the Holy Spirit felt. All they're saying is they got moved emotionally by some music. I'm saying if there is no real change in your life, the Holy Spirit never met with you. You can get excited, but that's not how the Holy Spirit works. He changes you. He makes you holy. As a matter of fact, there is a whole lot less shouting and a whole lot more weeping when the Holy Spirit comes in. Oh, God, I'm sorry. You ask the Lord to come in and search every room in your heart and clean it out? That's rough. Oh, I don't want to give that up. Oh, man, no, please. Uh, Not that one. I was going to hang on to that one for a little bit. Hey, I'll go knock on ten doors. Don't take that. He said, I'm not interested in you cleaning up the world. I'm interested in me cleaning you up. It's his fruit, not yours. You have to have that tree in order to have that fruit. And if you don't have him, all you got is a table full of plastic fruit. No wonder you're so fearful. No wonder you're so full of doubt. No wonder you're thinking about leaving when you're done. Because you don't have the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, it says your sanctification is through sanctification of the Spirit. You get better through Him. Not through self-improvement. His Spirit won't fill you because you're all cleaned up. He will fill you, then clean you up. Psalm 51 is a good passage. I won't read it. Let's go to number two. I encourage you to write it down and read it later. Verse two, uh, number two, agonize, agonize. There must be the right attitude. That's an attitude of repentance and sorrow of sin. You know, I don't have the strength to overcome my sin, but I sure have the ability to be sorry for it. You know what's wrong with a lot of our Christianity today? is people justify their sin, and they're okay with it. I've had people come up to me, Pastor, I'm struggling. I'm trying to do right, and I'm and i keep, and, and I'm just struggling. I say, good. As long as you're struggling, as long as what you think you're doing is bad, then we're good. Just keep struggling. Just keep fighting. I can work with you. Now, the one I can't work with is the one that says, what's wrong with that? I know right then and there, it's the flesh talking, not the spirit. Because the Holy Spirit of God make you humble. You'll want to know if there's anything going on. Oh, I shouldn't have that? I don't want it. And if it's hard to get rid of, you're sorry about it. Do you agonize over wanting to be better? You know, 1 Corinthians 9.25 says, Every man that striveth for the mastery. You know what that word strive means? To agonize. Ever seen a guy who's a champ and he gets taken over by the new young guy? but he got second place. Everybody's smiling. The a young guy, woo, maybe this guy that just started, and he actually got third. He did pretty well. You know who's not smiling? The champ, who used to be the champ who's in second. Hey, he got second place. He's not happy because he knew and thinks he could be better. Are you happy with your sin? You're okay with it? You mean you don't agonize that you should have known better, you should have done better? The second you stop fighting, it means the devil just one. Agonize means to struggle, to compete for a prize, to fight, to labor fervently. Repent means to think differently afterward, to reconsider. I shouldn't have done that. To feel a pricking of the heart or some irritation. Regret. I like this. To care afterwards. So the young person doesn't care what his authorities think, what his parents think, what the preacher thinks, you're in trouble. Self-improvement doesn't get you very far. You better have the Holy Spirit of God. There are so many people that don't want power over sin. They just want relief from sin's consequences. You don't want God's power to defeat that wrong music in your life. You like it. You just don't like the thoughts of depression and anger that consume you after listening to it. You want God's power to conquer lust for boys or girls? You like it. You just don't like the consequences of being distracted from school, grades dropping, and drama happening around you all the time. I would say that's all linked together. The reason God is not answering your help wanted ad is because he's not a janitor that you can pay to clean up your messes. The mess he wants to clean up is you. Number three. And we may end on this. Ask. Ask. I'm convinced that it's not me being cleaned first before the Spirit fills me, but it's me being filled first, then He cleans me. Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's His job. He cleanses. Not me trying to do it myself better, but me trying to get Him into my life. Psalm 51 says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Not me creating a clean heart, Him creating, and renew a right spirit within me. He didn't say get cleaned up first. He didn't say quit all these things and start all these things to get the Spirit. What is the requirement? In Luke eleven nine, it said, I say unto you, ask and it shall be given unto you. In verse 13, if then ye being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? Amen. You don't have them because you don't ask. You've asked God to take away things and do all these things, but you have not yet asked for the Holy Spirit, who is the one that comes in and cleans you up. He's the one that comes in, and he cleans it all up. You'll say, if you're ready for me to even take away your desire to want to do that, I'll do it. And lastly is Abide. Abide. You pray and then you leave. Two minute prayer, done. That person ain't going to cut it. God wants to know, do you really want the Holy Spirit in your life? If it's going to take some putting down your video game, it's going to take some avoiding the texting. and Youth pastors, it's going to take making less videos and putting the phone down at the same time putting your knees down and praying for your young people to do something you never could do even if you wanted to and you do want to and you've tried and you've failed because only God can do that. I believe we need to spend a lot more time in prayer. Spending a lot more time getting me out of the way and letting him have his way. In my life.